All right, so I'm recording now, and I'm here with Jim Pinto, who you guys normally know from the the Metal Workshop podcast and from the Grumpy Old Gamers podcast and also from the GMS Magazine podcast back in the day. And he has a new game that he is, or a revision of an old game that he made uh, up on Kickstarter. Jim, do you want to just explain what you have going and why people might be interested? Yeah, you, and you didn't get any of that right, so that's fantastic. What did I, what did I get wrong? It's not a game. It's a source book. It's an adventure. It's a, but it's a, a game. It's a, yeah, but but the way we talk about RPGs, like if I say if I have a module out, right, or if I have a supplement out, I'd say it's a game, right? Because oh, okay, yeah, yeah, no, I, I I would never have done that, but that's fine. Okay, yeah, I I I am much more abusive with the English language than you are, Jim. Yes, um, that is true. So, so all right. So what? Tell tell us about the the source book. So it's my turn to be pedantic now. By the way, okay. Um, I've also been on the show regularly with just the regular show, and I've appeared now twice on your uh, Wusha. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So Jim has been on on the Wusha Weekend podcast, and he and yeah, you've been on here promoting stuff in episodes like this, and 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 uh, I can't remember exactly, but yeah, you've been you've been on other programs as well. Right. So hopefully, this pedantry that I'm displaying now. Will lead to more sales. Well, if we're being pedantic, about... it's pedantry. Pedantry. Is it pedantry? Not I think pedantry? so. Pedantry. That sounds. It sounds like a. That sounds like a pantry for people that are pedantic. Do you know what I mean? But... Or who have feet. <laughs> so, okay, that's fair enough. Um, all right, but yeah, that, that one's maybe questionable because I I've just always assumed it was pedantry. Uh, but go on, go yeah. on. I don't want to keep derailing. I think that's you. just where you want to put the emphasis. This is the best episode yet. It is. It is. Should we talk about the Kickstarter now? Yeah, yeah. I think we should actually discuss the Any... Kickstarter. <laughs> so what do you want to know? Well, okay. Do, so do I remember before it was like a sandbox type campaign that had yep. the sort yep, of yep, storylines yep. woven in in a in a kind of seamless way. And I I was under the impression this was a sequel, but it's actually a revision. So I guess... Yeah, it's just a revision... So what are you revising? What were you trying to accomplish with putting out the revision? <laughs> there were a lot of typos in the original that I didn't like. I wasn't happy with. Um, some of it was just sloppy writing because I felt rushed or I wrote in the middle of the night. Mm. So I'm cleaning up little things like that. I never liked the the art. I thought the art was always subpar in the original because I just didn't make that much on the Kickstarter yep, yep. to pay for good art. And so I wanted to clean that up. Uh, the maps are getting colored um, by Alyssa, so the maps are going to improve, and I, I changed a little bit of the the topography. There's a new subheader font, uh, and it, I'm adding a few more NPCs, and I hope to add some more storylines. Um, I'm on in my edits. I'm on page 250 out of 350 or whatever it is. So um, it's coming along. It's moving along smoothly. It's just something that I've always wanted to make better, mm-hmm. and because it it's the only really successful thing I have on Drive Through RPG, I thought people deserved a nice one, a nice edition okay. of it, a nicer edition of it. All right, it. so so you're you're cleaning it up basically. You're cleaning yeah, it up cleaning and you're making it, it much more presentable and just fixing some things. The typos I totally understand because I those yeah. happen to me an awful lot. Um, yeah. But you seem like those happen to you less, so I I would think that might rub you the wrong way to 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 have typos in your book. Well, yes, yeah, especially if I 
I mean, if I do a book and I don't hire a copy editor for it, mm-hmm. let's say I do a four-page PDF and it just isn't economically feasible to hire a copy editor to do it, to look at it, because I'm only going to make a dollar on the damn thing anyway. Uh, it's annoying when those mistakes get through. But if I hire somebody and the mistakes are still in there, that's especially frustrating. Yeah, and that can happen. That can definitely happen. And, yeah. you know, you just have to work with somebody you trust. Um, no, no, and, and I do, and it's just one of those things where I'm just so anal about how the books look that this one really needed a facelift all okay. around. And uh, and so, so number one, I guess my first question is, when is this going to materialize? Like, after it's been funded and everything, how long do you think it'll be before the book is released? I want to do it as soon as possible, right? I've given myself to the end of the year, mm-hmm. but my hope is I can have it done by September. Okay, so that's pretty near. That's that's yeah, you know, yeah. just like a few months uh, away. Because now. most of the work is done. I'm only waiting at this point for Alyssa. And then if it does really, really well, I'll order a few more pieces of art. And it's Alyssa uh-huh. who that's doing the maps? Alyssa Faden. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's great. She's great. Yeah, she is. She did the original maps, but she's now coloring them for me. So she sent some today. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, somebody, and I'm doing some dice for the set, the game as well for people that pledge that high and again i'm doing the thing where these aren't pod these are being printed somewhere else off site it's not through drive through rpg the printing okay um and so these this will be a nice lay flat book for people that back the hardback book so is um, it going to be is it offset printing that you're doing or is it uh yeah yeah so so, offset so, printing at this oh go ahead go, go ahead. ahead and so the only way to get this nice addition is through the kickstarter Afterwards, if people want to get uh, the hardback or the softback, and I won't offer a hardback, I'm sorry. If they want to get the soft cover edition, they'll be getting it through drive through if they don't buy it through this okay. Kickstarter. And yeah, and, and that's going to make a big difference because I mean, I've, I've looked into yeah. color stuff with the PR, POD, and that that's a much bigger challenge than if you're doing it in offset. Right. Um, and now this offset is black and white because it fits the tone of the of the setting mm-hmm. that I've created to do a black and white book. Um, but that was the case the first time around as well. So does that but mean, uh, so PDF the, will have a, a little bit of color. Go ahead. I'm sorry. So is the, but the, the maps, are those going to be in color in the offset printing one? Or are those going to be in color? There's in... no maps in the book. The maps don't come in the book. They come as a extra PDF. Ah, okay. I get so you. The book okay. is six by nine. So the maps look, compressed and ugly inside the book and so i didn't want to do it okay that's the, yeah I, I can appreciate that I've, I've had that kind of a problem before and it's either shove the map in there and just make do or uh since then i've learned to always make sure my maps match the page style of the book but uh but when they don't match there's your your options are limited did you look into like anything like a like a like how, how feasible is it to put a map in a book these days like they used to back in the day, like when they would have the... Remember like the old oh. tear-out maps? Are those yeah, even yeah. possible anymore or are those just a... Um, yeah, know. those are possible, but you're paying through the nose to do anything like that because you have to go with offset or web press to get that kind of printing. And then that means doing a certain minimum number of copies. And so if I'm not selling a thousand copies, I can't... Yeah. I can't... And of course, now with tariffs, you have to print a book in the United States. Yep. So, yep. and Canada has better presses right now than the United States does 
for that sort of thing, which I don't know how that happened, but that's what happened. And I would I would never print a book in China. I don't know why right. people think that's a good idea. A lot of people were doing that. A lot of people. Yeah. Were, I saw a lot of and and I get like I get a um I get a lot of messages actually from Chinese printing companies on Facebook yeah. and stuff. I don't know if you do, but like yeah, it's, there's it's... yeah there's a lot there's a there's a lot of printing going on there. But obviously it, it has some downsides. Um, and uh, yeah, color color matching is one of the biggest problems when you're dealing with China. And the other thing is. Just because the proof looks a certain way doesn't mean the final is going to look that way. And I've yeah. run into that problem with China a lot. And once it's in the States, you've already paid the customs fees. You've already paid the shipping. And whatever the final is, that's your final. Unless you're made of money, you can't ask China to fix those problems because you, you've now set your project back another three, four months. Well, and there was a – wasn't there a company that um, – that their books were destroyed by the government yeah Yeah. so i mean there's also that potential issue though i think that was an unusual case but still that was Uh, rare and he did get his money back right yeah the printer was forced to destroy them but the guy got his money back yeah well yeah it wasn't like the it was it wasn't like it wrecked him it's just that it delayed the uh i think just delayed the project um but uh but all right so for people who don't know the the thing that makes this book exceptional, what's your, what's your elevator pitch for it? That's really tough, right? Because I can't give away any secrets because it is in fact the secrets that make it what it is. If that makes any sense. That does, but I think you can speak around them, right? Like you can, you can kind of allude to what they are and yeah. um, Uh, So it is, in my opinion, this is how all adventures should be written. This is the format that adventures should be written in for game masters that don't like to be told what to do, but rather given the tools to do their job properly, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. There's presentation of background, which goes on for a very long time. There's a presentation of the setting itself, which goes on for a while. Then there's the here's all the locations, and that's another 50 pages and then here's all the npcs and i think there's about 200 of them and then here's all the storylines that you can run using the tools that we just presented Hmm. in the first five chapters Um, and then also there's special rules for social interaction and then the special brand there's a little bit of genre mixing going on in this adventure and i don't even want to hint at what that is Um, but if you go out there you can probably read about it this is a five out of five book. I'm not even bragging there. I'm not tooting my own horn. If you go and you look at the reviews, everybody that's ever reviewed this gives it high marks. And it is because of the nature of how it's written and the attention to detail and the sheer depth of what you're getting. Um, yeah, no, and, and I can the, I can verify that because Jim sent me um you sent me a copy last year, right? There's a or maybe I picked maybe I bought it. I don't remember, but yeah, you had mentioned it, and I I, I read through it, and it's it, this is this is one where I, I recommend it to people whenever we're having a conversation about you know just old school adventure design and different approaches and things that you kind of need like examples that you really need to know. If you're right. if you're if you're looking for for uh, for guideposts and and this was one I thought was really uh, really well done and innovative. Um, so so yeah so I, I, I would I would 
agree with it strongly and it's not not just because i know jim because this was an opinion i formulated like right after you first came on the podcast that first time like right. well before uh we were doing metal workshop and stuff um so uh, i see in the description too you mentioned harn in the um yeah were you talking about this and it's not it's not harn system but you just mentioned harn as a system that it sort of is maybe uh uh would work well with um yeah can you uh, number one are you a harn fan or did you just was that just an example that leapt to mind i'm a huge harn fan um i i love we talked about this i have a degree in anthropology and so i am particularly drawn to settings that are grounded Mm-hmm. and that are rooted in history and that they just feel like real places that I can that I can imagine I can make decisions quickly because I can imagine these people are real and they act in real ways yep. and so that inspired me a lot when I decided to make this an Anglo-Saxon Shire and I designed it and I built the the valley in such a way that it's difficult to get in and out of which you can imagine is a really good way to set a, um, an adventure so that the players can't just go and get help and yeah. they have to solve things themselves. And it also allows you to have NPCs who are cut off from what's going on in the rest of the world. So the things that are happening there, it's kind of shocking when they happen there because these people are kind of, I don't want to say they're backwards, but they're certainly a little more technologically... Um, what's the word I look for? Rudimentary than maybe their counterparts in nearby parts of the world, um, and so that that means that the PCs have to come in and help, even if these people don't want their help. No, and that that's that's a I mean that's a great sort of geographic setup for adventure. And right. I like the I, I know I like the Harn inspiration. I I I don't think I made that connection, but that might explain a lot of why the book appealed to me when I first encountered it because you know i i I like harn and i I find that the uh and for similar reasons to what you stated and also just the fact that i don't know they they, they're very good in harn at taking something very simple and mundane and turning it into an adventure do you know i mean kind of like you're doing with the valley concept like this idea you know there's a there's a really just sort of basic challenge to the geography that adds to the in the adventure into how the players will be interacting with the setting. Um, and I feel like you see that a lot in Harn stuff. Um, so uh, you said that there was going to be some additional material in this book as well. So beyond yeah. the, the color maps, is there, uh, you said NPCs and what, what other kinds of things will, uh, will be in here? I've added a couple more NPCs. Um, I don't think I added any new locations, but I am adding a couple more storylines mm-hmm. when I get there. Just ideas for little filler stuff. I don't want to add any big storylines. I think that would dilute what's already in there. But I would like to do maybe some small sidetrack kind of things with some of the NPCs that are in the book that may not get a lot of attention. So is there a way to address what's going on on this farm? Um that the GM may or may not have had a plan for. Okay. Okay. And how many NPCs are you, are you adding? Uh, I've already added five. And what I'm doing is I'm just, as I find I'm at a page where there's some, maybe more than five, when I get to a space where there's some white space and I can fill it, 
that's when I'm adding more NPCs. So I do, I'm doing them all in alphabetical order, and I'll just do a name that could fit in there, and I'll make somebody up. Okay, okay. Uh, and so uh, I, I don't have an overall strategy except to just give people more content. Well, and it's the kind of gameable stuff. Like NPCs are always gameable in a sandbox thing, and this is a sandbox, and so yeah, I, I kind of want you know, you know, you, you know, you normally don't do sandboxes, right? Is that is that what's what's your general? Yeah, well, Go ahead. I I don't really work on on stuff for trad gaming anyway. Mm. I usually am making GMless games. Uh, I'm usually making GMless games for people that already have sort of a built-in structure and whatnot. So I love sandboxes and they're certainly my preferred way of doing things, but they're a lot of work. And so I don't, I don't work on them because they would, they just take so much more of my time away from the kinds of things I'm doing. Yeah. Sandbox in terms, you mean in terms of publishing, they take a lot of work. Or do you mean in terms of regular play, they take a lot of work or both? Uh, one more time, you broke up there. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was just saying, when you say that sandboxes take a lot of time, do you mean, like, particularly in publishing or just in general? Like, if... No, yeah, in publishing. Mm. It takes me a long time to write them because I want to I wanna be thorough and I want to look at it holistically. Yep. I want to I wanna make sure that all the ingredients that are there are adhering to the theme. So it's very easy. Let's look at Forgotten Realms as a as an example of a sandbox, because that's essentially what it is, right? It's just this massive sandbox. Um, yeah, I, I'm not as I, I'm not a big Forgotten Realms person, so I've always been a little unclear on what the content is on the GM side of things. But I'll, right, yeah. Well, I, we don't have to use Forgotten Realms. We can use anything as an example. Mm -hmm. We could use Greyhawk if that's more comfortable. But, yeah, that's that's definitely more sandboxy. Um, yeah. Keeping it tonally and thematically coherent. When you get that big, that's difficult, especially in the case of the Forgotten Realms, because they just started deciding that, oh, this also belongs in the Forgotten Realms, and this mm -hmm. does, and this does. And eventually it just becomes mud because everything's in there. Um, yeah. I yeah. use Deadlands sometimes as an example of gumbo because there there's so many different kinds of elements that go into that sandbox that a game master has to pick and choose what they're going to use because they can't use it all. It's impossible. Yeah, Forgotten Realms always kind of struck me a little bit Conan-like in that anything could kind of show up there. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was sort of like event, like you know, Saturday matinee adventure type stuff. Could just, it was just, uh, you know, they have barbarians, they have, you know, they have like a, you know, you know, an Asian s section, they have like an Arabian section, they have all these different things that could be different adventure type movies, but um, but. But I, again, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I've never been huge into Forgotten Realms. So, um, but I'm sorry, I was breaking into what you were saying there. No, that's okay. I was just. I was just using that as an example, right? Yeah. You can use any buddy setting, and you look, can look at it and say, "Well, this is one big sandbox." There's not a lot of data in the core book to give you enough of a sense of all the players, so you need to look at the micro of it. So, if you're playing a, a I don't know if you're playing. I don't even know the regions of Greyhawk anymore. But if you're playing in, say, Highport, that's a city I know from Greyport, Grey, uh, from Greyhawk. You need to know all the players in that town. Mm -hmm. You need to know all the 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 Uber plans of the orcs who are running things secretly and so on. And that stuff has to be delineated 
for, for the game master if the game master is running a sandbox kind of campaign yeah otherwise you just need to know the vital pieces to run the railroad through to the dungeon right so yep. the amount of writing for to do an adventure in highport is much less than the amount of writing to create highport itself i get you yeah and and i guess i guess there are two ways of going about it too there's the the sort of macro way of here's like a large sandbox with rough sketches of everything and the gm is assumed to fill it out on an as-needed basis or whatever um you know if, like if they're going to set their campaign in this region of the world they might flesh out some more of that and then there's like the real microscopic approach which is sounds like what you're talking about where you really need to flesh out everything and it all has to line up and so there's a lot of detail and yeah and, and a lot of connective tissue and and one thing i like about how you you organize this was you you kind of make the connective tissue very clear to people separately do you know what i mean like that that's the part that i feel you do like a uh you know really interesting job with because a lot of times you know that isn't as clear in the reading of a sandbox uh source book um so how did like did you when you were like and again, if I if I'm treading into anything that you don't want to talk about because of secrets, just tell me. But <laughs> sure. But in terms of the storylines, like how did you go about making sure that those threads were consistent? Did you start with the storylines, or did you create the stuff and then find the connective, you know, lines oh, between them? Like, what was your approach? That's a great question. So. Um... They sort of happened simultaneously, and they sort of didn't. Um, I've run this. Before I even wrote and published this, I had run this story four or five different times for people over the years mm -hmm. for different groups, and I'd use different systems. And when you use something like, say, Pathfinder, it doesn't work because people are expecting a fight. They've got 30 pages of information on how to kill things. And then they don't get to use any of that because there's not a lot of fighting in the adventure. Yeah. So a lot of developing it came through the kinds of games that I was running and what I wanted to play. And then a lot of it became me thinking on my feet. I knew everything in my head, but nothing had been written down. And so, okay, well, I know this is going on in the keep and I know this character wants this and this person has been watching the PCs since they got in the valley. So what would happen now in this context? Okay. And so I, I, a lot of the, the very first times running through it, um, running people through it was thinking on the fly. So when I finally sat down and wrote it, most of the work was done. Now, a hundred of these NPCs I just made up after the fact, right? Because I needed to fill out the book. Because mm -hmm. when I was running it from home, I would just make up an NPC when I needed one. But I can't expect the GMs to do that when they're running it. They need to know who lives in that house. They need to know who runs that shop. And I knew what the big notes were that I wanted to hit. And so those storylines were already done and in my head. Some of the other storylines I made up after the fact because I knew they fit what was going on in some of these NPCs that I had created. Okay. So, so I didn't run all 50 of these storylines when I first wrote it, when I first was running it for my friends. Well, that would be, um, that I, would be a ridiculous number of storylines to, to run for your, your, oh your yeah, movie. absolutely. Absolutely. 
and if and if you're a GM that's trying to be realistic about everything, you're going to run some of those simultaneously. Mm. So keeping track of that much information is just too much work to to put on somebody. Yeah. So yeah, people need to pick and choose the ones they like, and let let the players stumble into some of the other ones, but not all of them. Yeah, and that's I mean, I I think too the way that you wrote it kind of kind of by running it first is is a is a good way to go about things uh i i find that's you can have like my experience with writing stuff is you can write it and put it on paper but it's not really until you've run it that everything kind of crystallizes in your mind as a gm do you know what i mean right. like i find like if i have a map that i made of an estate i don't really see what it looks like until the players say well what's you know what's in this room what's beyond that door you know you need like that kind of exploration from the player end to to really force you to to map it out in your head and and think through some of the stuff that you might not have thought through when you were just you know doing the prep so i think that's a good starting point for this sort of thing yeah and i think you can see it i think you can see it in the book like the way that this stuff kind of comes alive is it, it it feels like you've thought about it do you know what i mean and so I suspect it's maybe connected to that. Um, now, is there anything? Yeah, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say a lot of it also has to do with the fact that I just think and run games. I think about games differently yeah. and I run games differently. So how do you, how do you think about games there. differently and how do you run them differently? Um, I, I can percolate on things and I can, I can keep things in my head going while I'm doing other things. Right. I, I, I want to know when my when my characters are going through a town. Mm-hmm. I want to know what every single NPC on the street is doing and planning. And I don't. I know a lot of people don't do that, and a lot of people don't care. But it's important for me because I want to see that there's value in everybody in the world and not just the PCs. Now, are you saying it, that you you th- are actively thinking about this and constructing it as the players are exploring that section of the setting? Yes. Live. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. So no, that's a good I, technique. That's a very good technique. Um, um, I'm not a. I'm not just a um, a passenger, right? I'm not just a spectator watching them play. I'm thinking about how the thing, what the things they're doing, how that that affects the world. Yeah, and, I I call it like thinking about the scaffolding, like yeah, like, and I don't do it to the extent that you do. It sounds like you really like you've thought about a lot of things on that street. But if I'm running a game, I will, uh, uh, I'll sort of as the players are entering the city. If if I hadn't planned on them going there, I don't know much about the city. I'll immediately ask myself, okay, like what criminal organization is influential in this part of town? What's you know what are the conflicts? You know, you start thinking about this stuff, and you just start scribbling notes on the page somewhere so that you have it when it might become relevant. But it sounds like you're kind of going door to door and and really fleshing out these details in your mind as those players are exploring. Yeah. Even if they're not interacting with some pieces of it, I still need to know for my own benefit. I need to answer those questions to satisfy my curiosity. So it ends up getting made anyway. Okay. Um, And then I start thinking about the logistics of things. I think about, well, how are they getting the copper in and out of town? Mm -hmm. How are they doing the mining and so on? There has to be this person at the essay office who, 
who is checking off all these boxes before they can even ship it. There's got to be a bell warden who's washing and weighing the the copper at the mine at the top of How the How much shaft. research are you doing for that? That's like that's really fine detail for um like Well, a lot of this is shit that I've just learned over the years. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm not doing a lot of research beforehand all the time. Okay, uh, okay. But in this case I did a lot of research cuz I wanted to set it in an Anglo-Saxon shire. So I did do research on how their laws were formed and how the ranks of the society worked because it it was an intricate society. There were numerous uh, levels of peasantry in in Anglo-Saxon England um, prior to the Vikings. And that kind of research is some of the hardest to do for gaming purposes too. Like you'll have very specific things that you need information on and then it's kind of like good luck finding that information in books that are covering much more broad topics. Um, Or even if they're covering that topic, you don't always get the info you need, or it's maybe for the wrong year or it's, you know, that I find when you're doing that kind of historical research for a game, you can read like 300 pages and get a paragraph of text sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. That is exactly how it generally works. I think, I think I lucked out in a lot of ways because Anglo-Saxon history is so well documented. Yeah. Versus yeah. say if I wanted to write a Mongolian game, that would be almost impossible because it was oral history for so long. There's no, nothing you, written down. Absolutely. Well, and also there's it's not getting stuff in English on it is really tricky versus right. getting stuff on Anglo-Saxon stuff in English is really easy. And the uh I noticed that like with like like anything dealing with that part of the world you'll get a lot of really accessible micro histories that can give you really detailed information and one of the challenges I found for like I run a lot of stuff set in China and the challenge there is some of that detailed information exists because there's there's extensive history there obviously but so much of it is not in English so you have to rely only on English sources. So I, I can see where that, you know, your starting point is a good one for getting access to that kind of info. Um, right. Now, what, uh, what was it we were talking about? So the, the, uh, we, we were originally discussing how you were doing, you, you were sort of thinking through these details because of how you right. think about games um, and so, but you also said you run games differently or you, you, you know, how do you run games yeah. differently? I, um, I don't make myself the center of attention, which is a primary goal of mine as a game master. I like to set the tone as fast as possible, mm-hmm. set the situation as fast as possible and let the players poke at the environment with a stick wherever they want to. And, uh, letting them role play the journey to the valley so that they get to know each other and get to find I think role playing is wearing somebody else's pants right Okay. and so you have to get comfortable in those pants and that takes a few encounters right that takes a few sessions to do that so you if you're running something like this you want to give them the room to do that and make the mistakes early on that they're going to make when there's no consequences yet um, so if they're talking to one another on the road, 
and they're talking about what's happened and what do you think we're going to find and that sort of thing. I think it's my job as the game master to set that up and make sure that those things can happen organically. Um, oh, I get and, what you're saying. I get what you're saying. And if I interfere with that, right, if they start, I've watched lots of game masters do this and it drives me nuts. They'll have an NPC tell them to shut up, which I don't like at all. Or they'll see that they're in the middle of role playing and having fun and doing something. And you immediately have them get ambushed because you're as game master, you're bored watching them talk. Yeah. It's their game just as much as it's your game, right? The, yeah. I, and I don't believe that it's the game master's job to entertain everybody 24-7. I don't like that idea. I don't if either. I, that, that I agree with you yeah. strongly on that. I, I was in a discussion about that. I don't like the artifice of... Um, at, like I don't like speaking like a storyteller, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I, I don't want to feel like I'm performing for the players. I want to feel like I'm among them, if that right, makes sense. Right. Um, but... Uh, that what you just said there i think is pretty key too because one thing that i observed was sometimes as a game master when the players were just planning things i would that's when i would get antsy as a gm until i realized that's kind of when i get a relax like if the players are planning and talking and enjoying themselves they're having a good time and that means you've done your job of setting things up so that they can they can kind of chew on it and think about what they want to do and and then, like you said, your responsibility in that situation is to to hear what they're saying so that you can plan for it accordingly or, you know, uh, you know, incorporate what what direction they're going into uh, into, you know, the other things that you knew were coming down the pike. Um, so uh, so I, I, I like I like that approach. Um what what else about because we're coming on the 30 minute mark here what else about this book would you want people to know uh especially if they if they haven't heard of it before i um it annoys me when uh somebody tries to write a trick ending just to say gotcha Uh and one of the things i tried to do here is make it there obviously needs to be a plot twist. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you've got nothing. If you're just, go get the box. Oh, the box was there. We fought the monster to get the box. Go home. That's a really boring adventure, and nobody wants to do that. Yeah. But gotcha endings aren't fun either. The plot twists need to be, they need to be smart, or at least at the very least, they need to be convincing. Yeah. And I think... Without sounding arrogant or anything, I think I've created the best plot twist in D&D's history, in fantasy gaming's history, at least from what I've read. I can't say that with 100% accuracy, but what I've done is paint a picture that is so clear that when the plot twist happens, it's holy shit. How did, hmm. Of course that's what it is. It's that kind of moment. Yeah, you, got, you lay the groundwork. Yeah. Well, I, and to find out, people will have to pick up the book and and see for themselves. But it's definitely it's definitely worth it. This is a this is a this is a good book. And 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 when did you say you said it's going to be ready? Hopefully in September is the hopefully in September. Yeah, because there's really not that much work to do on my end left. I I just need a little. Once the money comes in, I can order some more art. Uh, I'm just waiting for Alyssa to finish the maps, and then bam, 
I can get it off to the printer. And it, the and hard is, part is going to be I'm actually because this is coming to my house mm-hmm. and I'm signing every copy and then I'm mailing them out again because it's going that route instead of just shipping from a fulfillment mm-hmm. system. It that part takes a little bit longer. So September is probably ambitious. Okay, and and is this funded yet? Is this is this? Oh yeah, this is more than funded. Okay. I'm at the. I just hit twelve thousand. So. Oh wow! Okay, so so this is actually this is like people's chance to get in on it, basically. Because, the, yeah, this is yeah. essentially. I want to get this nice printing. You're only backing it if you want the nice printing. Okay. Uh, you can go online and buy oh. the PDF right now. What are the what are the tiers? We should do that's something we should cover actually. Um, um, they're they're really simple. There's just the PDF. There's the soft cover. There's the hard cover, and whether or not you want to add dice. Okay. All right. So there's at, uh, and those are all listed on the Kickstarter page. Yeah. And yeah. So, yeah. Um, all right. So so yeah. So I, I people should check this Kickstarter out. Uh, we'll post a link uh, in the description. And uh, and also you can uh, if you follow Jim on Facebook, you can get updates. Is there is there a general place where people can go to get information on the games that you're putting out? Do you have like any kind of preferred landing page? Not really anymore. I used to update my website, but I haven't done that in about two years. I don't know what kind of traffic it was getting, to be honest, or traction if people were really using it very much. I mean, I get stats, but. I, there were a lot of people trying to hack the site too. So yeah, really no, that's know. a perpetual problem. That's a perpetual. <laughs> I really problem. don't know, um, uh, and I don't even have an admin account, right? It's got a different name completely. Okay. So they would have never hacked it using the methods they were using. Um, but it's always funny to me. I so no, I haven't updated my page in a while. I think Facebook and Drive Through RPG are really the best places to keep up on what I'm doing. Okay. Um, all right, so yeah, fa- Facebook and drive through, and and now there's no RPG now, so there's no confusion about where to go to, yeah, to you know, that it's actually a development I'm quite pleased about. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I actually don't like how many different websites they have, but I guess it matters for certain delineations because they have a fiction site and they have a they have a comic the, site, um, they have a war vault, and you can buy my stuff at all, nearly every one of their sites. Oh, so um, if you're on the comic site, you can still get the RPGs? Is that not necessarily the comic site, but on the War Vault and the Dungeon Masters Guild and uh, one of the other sites, I forget the name of it, you can still buy post-world games material. So. Okay, okay. Yeah, drive is probably the easiest one to, to head to, I would imagine. Yeah, it's the one everybody else. Oh, they have drive through RPG and drive through Cards. So those are the two different ones that I was thinking of. Okay. So. All right, so, so, anyway. we'll, so yeah, we'll put a link in the description. Again, it's called uh, King for a Day, and it's the revised version. Um and you know there's a really great you put together like a really good trailer too on the uh on the kickstarter page it's really simple i don't like where'd you get the music by the way i was wondering about that i was um i'm trying to remember where i got the music for this i want to say dave bluer made it for me but maybe the guy that made the the video himself put the music on there i don't remember now yeah i made it a long time ago i've been ready to do this for about two years (laughs) So I finally so, got yeah. around to the lunch. You 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 are a very productive person. Yeah, I, I apologize. I think I don't think any apology is required. It's just I I I am always surprised by how productive you are. Um, and then I I realize I need to be more productive. Um, so yeah, so uh, you know, definitely check it out. And we'll be back on. You know, we're gonna do another uh, metal workshop soon. And. Uh, We have other things cooking, so we'll talk to you later. 